I like to say I went home and woke up in the middle of the night with this light bulb, but it was more like a couple of days or weeks and I thought, you know, this would be a great idea. Let's create a tidal wave of change with smart people, smart business, smart planet. I have been very, very lucky and very, very passionate about becoming very lucky. We're doing very well on Amazon now. It's taken us a little while to learn that. There's just always something new to learn. I'm Richard Gerhardt. And I'm Elizabeth Gerhardt. Welcome to Passage to Profit, the show about entrepreneurism, small businesses, and the intellectual property that helps them flourish. We just heard from some fantastic guests. We'll have more coming up on Passage to Profit. Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Tonight's guest, Jeff Goodman, is the host of the radio show Rediscovering New York. It's a show that showcases New York City's extraordinary neighborhoods. And for our executive spotlight, we have industrial psychologist Pamela Samarco, founder of Green Training Associates. And two presenters with great products. I can hardly wait to see these. Lisa Zampelin, love Lisa as a jewelry line and she's selling to some really high powered people because her pieces are amazing. And then we have Chris Pavlika with FTI brands, which I think if you know about this, you'll use it in your house. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can hardly wait for that. But before we get to our guests, what do we always do? IP in the news. So what is on the table tonight? We're going to take two different sides on this, I think. As Oracle a lawyer, I love this. Oracle versus Google. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm going to take the tech perspective. Richard's going to take the IP attorney oh, perspective. Okay. So there's this article <laughs> in Ars Technica. <laughs> this explains the tech perspective in a nutshell. You're wrong. I can just tell right <laughs> how, off the bat. How the Supreme Court saved the software industry from API copyrights. I'm sure we all <laughs> want to hear about this. And so basically they told Oracle who invented the software that everybody uses for APIs all over their websites and all their programming and everything. But what is an API? It stands for application programming interface, but Richard has a really good way to. Right. So if you wanted to hook two computer programs together, you use an API. So if you have an accounting software like QuickBooks and you want to connect it to your website, there's an API that connects the two programs together. And so this was what the subject of this suit right. was. And so years ago, Oracle invented that software and then let everybody use it. And then they tried to reach back and grab it back and say, you're making money from it. So you have to pay us for the copyright on it. So they use copyright law to do that. And Google, who had been using it, was like, no, we're not going to pay you. And there's fair use, doctor, all these different arguments they used. So everybody uses these. So before the suit was said, what did Google do? They started charging everybody for their Maps API that used to be free. And I'm like, wait a minute, you took it from Oracle. <laughs> I know you hate this part. <laughs> She's so been talking about, about this. this all week ever since the well, case Well, yeah, because I lost the Maps API on my website for yeah. Fireside and have to pay for it now. But the interesting thing is that you can copyright computer software. You can also patent it. So this was a copyright case, not a patent case. So there are two different types of intellectual property. And so it's important to keep that straight. You can still patent software. The question was, were these little programs that they put together to create these interfaces, were they protectable under copyright law? And the Supreme Court said, no, they're not copyrightable. And I think the reason they did that is because they want the tech community to flourish. This is a tool that developers use to improve the quality of the software. And I think undermining all of this or the underpinning here was that they didn't want to slow down technology. And so I think the Supreme Court actually made the right decision here. There's still other types of protection available for other types of computer software. And I think it's also made the lives of computer programmers a lot easier because now this is one less thing that they have to worry about. Right. So everybody uses it. They all use the same thing. So different devices and different programs can talk to each other. And so if it had gone the other way, then you'd have people programming their own different APIs and nothing would be standardized anymore and it would just be a mess. Decision of significance by the Supreme Court in the world of intellectual property and let's keep the technology moving forward. So, so Pat and Palooza. 
Patent Palooza. I love this invention. I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's called leaf gathering trousers. So what you do is you pull on these tubes over your pant legs and in between the tubes are netting and then you rock and gather leaves. <laughs> I bag. guess I just wouldn't want to use it because I'd be concerned my neighbors would think my pants are full or something like that. <laughs> I thought it was a fantastic Walk. idea. I would have loved to have these with our kids. Oh my gosh, I could just imagine. Yeah, our son would have just like done a barrel roll and knocked us over. So, so I don't know if you ever commercialized it but too bad we haven't seen it on the market yet it but would be so much fun <laughs> so that said it's time for richard's roundtable and we get to ask our guests what they think about these important ip stories so let's start with jeff well something occurred to me richard in your field they may have a patent but they need a brand name that should have a mark how about leaves come to me that seems to be <laughs> but they should hurry up and uh, apply for the mark before somebody else gets it that's a great comment so so, Pamela? I actually was thinking about the Google Oracle situation. And I think, you know, Richard, I'd love to hear your advice around what was like a collaborative effort and what are the best practices to avoid the downstream effects of not discussing your collaboration and agreement up front? Because I run into that regularly. I've got three collaborations going right now. I mean, everything looks happy and rosy up front, planning, everyone's excited. And then all of a sudden you get to the reality of the business engagements related to that collaboration, or if it doesn't work out, the ownership of it. So I'm eager to hear your thoughts. Well, sure. So that's one of the uses of attorneys is <laughs> to be the bad people and discuss what happens if things don't work out. And then you get it in the contract and so it's clear. And so usually clarity is the best policy. Sometimes the parties, when they're getting a business together, they don't know all of the things that are going to happen in the future. And it's hard to anticipate places where there might be disagreements. And it's unpleasant to talk about downer things. Who wants to buzzkill their new business, right? But the lawyers can play a role talking about, based on their experience, where they've seen things go wrong and put some safeguards in for the clients. And then the lawyers can kind of duke it out out and it doesn't really hurt the client to client relationship. And so that's really my best advice. Think about your project with as much clarity as you can and define what you're going to do and who's going to do what. And then, you know, at the end of the day, get a good contract and good attorney to sort all those things out. So Kenya, what do you have to say? My question for Richard is like, how soon should you start having those collaboration conversations and what level of transparency should you be at when you first initiate those types of collaborations? My advice is always start with an NDA. So you want to make sure that there's an awareness on both sides that what you're talking about is kept confidential between the parties. And then usually it starts with a term sheet which is just a piece of paper with bullet points on it where you have points of agreement. So if it's going to have a selling price of X and you're going to produce so many units of Y, then you need to get a rough structure of what the project is going to look like, who's going to contribute what, who's going to do what. I'm going to be the software developer. You're going to be the marketer. And you want to get some clarity around the roles of each person or each company. And then once you have agreement on that, you can turn it over to the lawyers and they'll usually have a template contract that they've used in the past and they'll modify it for that particular collaboration. Anytime you sign any kind of contract of any substance, you want to have an attorney at least review it because I've seen so many times where people have tried to do it themselves. And if you're spending any money at all on the project or making any investment, it's worth it to have a lawyer look at it. I can tell you horror stories, but we so anyway. Time. That was too long anyway. <laughs> that was too long. So, so what's so Somebody asked me a question about law. Okay, Lisa. Shut up. Yeah, Lisa, don't ask a question about law. No, I'm just kidding. So I have a question as a small business owner. When you have employees and you develop a product, let's just say it was a software, um, an application, and you apply for a patent and a trademark, does it belong to the company or does the employee own rights to that? How is that handled? That is an interesting question. So the answer to it comes preferably when you retain the employee you have some sort of contract that requires them to assign the project over to the company so that they own it. And if you don't have that contract, a whole schedule of rules come into play that the employee may have ownership rights in the invention, depending on what it is and when it was constructed. If it you know, was done in the course of their employment, you might have a better case of getting a court to assign it to them. But then 
it's really comes down at the point of hire. You want to make sure that they have an obligation to assign it to you. And then if they don't and they refuse to assign it to you, then you have to get attorneys involved to figure out what is the best way forward. But as far as a patent would go, if you had employees that were collaborating that invented the patent together, all their names have to be on the patent as inventors, but then they okay. typically assign it to the company. And then once they assign it to the company, the company owns it and they don't get any more rights in it at all. Right. So Chris. Well, there's been a lot of uh, intelligent questions. I'll ask the opposite. I have to have a question about these pants. <laughs> yeah, gathering browsers. For these pants, you always see wacky patents like this. I guess it's a good thing that they charge for patent applications. Otherwise, people will be trying to patent everything. But I do have, I think, a somewhat serious question here. When you have a patent like that, is there ever a little bit of that person's mind thinking like, if somebody comes out with something similar, I'm first, even if it is a, a legitimate thing that people might buy, like, I know, you know, rollerblades are the one that everyone likes to bring up. But if somebody in the 30s within the right statute of limitations said, I'm going to strap a bike tire to my shoes. And then three years later, the guy tries to patent the uh, rollerblades. Was it all intentional to have like some wacky patent because I'm going to protect it in some way later and make some money off of this? Or is it just some clown, you know, doing fun stuff for just for something to put on his wall at home? Both. <laughs> you know, that's a really good question. Some people that we've encountered do get patents just to get a patent because very few people actually own patents. So if you do own a patent, you're in a very elite you're in a people. rarefied club. But they really do intend to make things a lot of the times, I think. And I think where people run into trouble is in their marketing. I've seen wonderful products flame out and die because they don't put the money into the marketing. I think the answer is yes in both cases. There are people who want to file patents just to say they have a patent. They're called vanity patents. Lots of times companies file a lot of patents, like a lot of technical companies, because the scientists and the inventors get another notch on their resume every time a patent is filed. It's an indication from the patent office that your idea is new and you're the first one to think of it. So a lot of people take intellectual pride in filing patents, even if it never turns out to amount to anything. So anyway, to answer your question, yeah, that is the case. Well, thank you, everybody. I Those were great questions. <laughs> Chris, thanks for ending on a fun note. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you've got something wacky, let us know. Yeah. I have once had a salesman say, can I patent this martini? And I was like, sure. Why you know, and cost you $5,000. Well, I'm not so sure about but that. But I am so excited about our guest. I am too. So Jeff Goodman, welcome to the show. Tell us about what you've been up to. You're rediscovering New York. And that sounds like a fantastic idea, especially in the age of COVID. So please uh, tell us a little bit about your tours and your business and your radio, radio show. Well, since we're talking about entrepreneurs, actually my tour program and my radio show are event and content businesses that support my real estate business. About nine or 10 years ago, I thought it would be a great idea idea. I don't know why anyone else didn't think about this before, but uh, for a real estate agent to host a series of neighborhood walking tours and to connect people with the great things about New York neighborhoods. I have a background in advertising and marketing, and uh, I met a tour guide and I came up with this idea to do it for a real estate agent. It's kind of like Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. I'm not a tour guide, and the insurance salespeople weren't uh, naturalists. They hired Marlon and Jim to do that. <laughs> I do the same on my tours. I have a tour guide. And uh, I expanded it to a radio show, weekly radio show, about two and a half years ago. Since COVID, we actually don't do the physical tours, but I do a series of virtual tours and online content, although I'm very much looking forward to the day when we can all congregate again. There's one other element to the walking tours, Richard, um, which is that, you know, in most tours, you just go and do the tour and then you leave. Being a networker and a connector, I came up with the idea to keep the party going. So after the tour ends, I find a local watering hole, a bar. I have some commercial sponsors who pay for food. And most of the people who come on the tour end up coming to the bar or the restaurant. They get off their feet. They have a snack. But what they do is they end up socializing and they end up networking. And I, as the person who set it all up in the world of networking, I'm the one who's remembered as not just having provided this great content, but facilitating these relationships that people create or they enhance when they see people that they already know. I interviewed Jeff for my startup fireside I'll talk about later. And I was so impressed. I wanted him on the show as a guest. I just think this is so out of the box thinking. This is so creative. I don't know any other real estate agent that does anything like this. Jeff invites people that he likes. I mean, it's open to everybody, but he invites you. He gets to know you 
So it's not like you're walking on this tour and you don't know the person heading it, but he has another person actually doing the tour, but he's at the other end. So they kind of sandwich you, right, Jeff? Exactly. Joyce Gold, my tour guide, the partner I work with, the attention is always on Joyce, which is good because number one, I get between 60 and 100 people on these tours. So we have uh, speaking devices that go through Bluetooth. And I'm always positioning myself with the crowd so people can hear the speaker. But also because I have a tour guide, it gives me a chance, even though very perfunctorily on the tour, because everyone's paying attention to the tour guide, is to talk to people. Hey, good to see you. What do you think of that? This is cool. I didn't know that, you know, and to, and to engage people with me as the person who set this up and brought everyone together. But the real opportunity to connect with people comes at the reception afterward, because then, you know, there's not someone on stage. It's just people having a drink, having a snack and uh, schmoozing. That sounds great. I mean, that just sounds like a perfect. And how can people find the radio program? I'm on every Tuesday night at seven o'clock on talkradio.nyc. And it's also podcasted on uh, Amazon, Google, Spotify, uh, Stitcher. The program is called Rediscovering New York. And is it really for mostly local New Yorkers? The walking tours are by invitation only. It's people whom I know and people they know. I have a mailing list of 4,000 people. So anyone who's either connected to me or who's connected to someone who gets an invite is welcome to come. And that's mostly people who are New Yorkers, who are in New Yorkers. Once in a while, someone will bring a relative from the Philippines or a friend from Australia on the trip. Uh, the Radio Show and Podcast, though, is different. I don't have a personal relationship with most of the listeners. I have thousands of listeners. And we can tell because on internet radio, you can monitor where people are listening because of their IP addresses. So there are a lot of New Yorkers. There are people from other parts of the country, and there are people from other parts of the world. And it's great to see people listening from Seoul, from Marrakesh, from all over the world. The Radio Show, I think, largely is people who are not in New York, who like to live vicariously, right, in, uh, about New York. But the walking tour, you have to be here and it's mostly people who are here and i don't sell tickets i give it away so i don't advertise it to the public i'm not in the tour guide business and i'm not in the radio show business what i do with it is by having this other programming i really provide value and show people that i am not only passionate about new york and its neighborhoods but i have my finger on the pulse of what neighborhoods are like and that's how i use that in my business to enhance my value to people who may be considering doing business with me so Jeff, we are almost out of time. I have to ask you this question quickly. How did you come up with such a creative idea? I was uh, at a networking event and it was musical chairs. And uh, you know, when you move around and you get two and a half minutes to tell the person sitting across from you what you do. And this woman sat across from me, her name is Joyce Gold. And she told me that she not only does tours for the public, but does them for banks and for birthday parties. And I like to say I uh, went home and woke up in the middle of the night with this light bulb, but it was more <laughs> like a couple of days or weeks. And I thought, you know, this would be a great idea for a real estate agent to bring neighborhoods to life through an event and to have FaceTime with people. And so that was um, what it engendered. I also have a marketing and advertising background. So as a real estate agent, it gives me my background. I spent 22 years in advertising and media. It gives me a little bit of an advantage at being able to come up with out-of-the-box ideas. But as a friend of mine who was a chief ad columnist for an important newspaper told me when I won an award uh, and he congratulated me, and I said, you know, I said, this is, this is a knockoff of Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. It's the same thing. And he looked across the table and he said, Jeff, he said, the number of new ideas that have come up, you can count on both hands over 2,000 years. Almost everything is an innovation of somebody else's idea. Jeff, how can people find you? People can find out about my real estate business on my own website. I have my own URL, www.jeffgoodman.nyc. Jeff Goodman NYC is also the handle for all my social media channels. Thanks so much for joining us and your listening to Passage to Profit. We'll be right back after this commercial message. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, 
contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And our executive spotlight is Pam Samarco, an industrial psychologist, and Lord knows we need some analyzing here. Um, but she also works with large companies and gets them to operate efficiently. So welcome, Pam. Tell us what you're up to. Thanks so much, Richard and Elizabeth. As an industrial organizational psychologist, I'm not the kind where you lay down on my couch and tell me about your childhood stories. <laughs> I decided on my major when I was in college that I wanted to study psychology. And my dad said to me, you better go to the library and figure out what kind of job you're going to get with a degree in psychology, right? These liberal arts and soft skills, what are you really going to do for a living? So I did that and decided I wanted talent development and training. And that world opened up to me where I decided my career path and I backed into it with my educational path. And so 35 years later, I use what I learned through my bachelor and master's degrees every day because it's about personality, social psychology, cognitive processes, applying that with everything I know about predicting human behavior in the workplace, basically. So my company is 12 years old, but I'm in the profession 35 years. And Green Training Associates was founded in 2009 as a result of 24 years in corporations, I said, okay, what do I want for myself uh, after my last job elimination due to a merger acquisition? Mm. And I decided I wanted to help the world. I wanted to use my capabilities in training and talent development. And yeah. I felt the marketplace needed green training associates. So how do you predict behavior in the workplace? That is the question that we all want answered. <laughs> it's a great question. You know, I look at people's capabilities, what they need to do to accomplish the organization's goals. I look at the current state. I look at what the future state should be. And that's defined by the leadership because it's all about executive commitment. And then they create a path using my proprietary methodology where I put together a solution of mentoring, leadership training, employee engagement, organizational effectiveness initiatives, and change initiatives. And I package it up and I deliver it. So it's customized, but it helps an organization close their gaps to achieve their organizational goals. And I love to work with mission-driven companies. So I say my company develops people's capabilities to solve the world's challenges and build sustainable organizations. So what can an entrepreneur do to use this? I mean, I, I had a recent experience yeah. where I was going to be on this team. We were putting together a team to do a project. And I had just read this book called Traction by Gina Wickman about the entrepreneurial organizing system. And putting those things into play, I decided that I really was not in alignment with somebody else on the team who was kind of taking over. So I stepped away from the project. So I wouldn't have predicted that this person, I didn't know her that well, would have done the things that she did. So how can an entrepreneur use this? I mean, we all have to put together teams at some point. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I look at helping companies thrive with future readiness. So I would take a look at what the executives are seeking from an organizational strategy standpoint. And then you assemble the team with the right capabilities and you build those capabilities if needed toward those goals. And I think what most importantly from an entrepreneurial standpoint is what I provide are professional consulting services. And how do you package that up and how do you position it to a new client or prospect that may understand what the value is of bringing in an expert to do what they need done and working with the executives, getting everyone on board, getting the people that are being affected by the intervention or the consulting assignment all of that has to do with understanding as an entrepreneur, how to engage in those relationships, how to gain the sponsorship, the executive commitment, and then doing the hard work of the behavior change itself through the right mix of activities for that client. I think being specific, sustainability, environmental science, life science, technology industries are the industries, the verticals, and the type of company that I work with that 
I know I can come into that organization and work with them to solve their problems, accelerate business growth, drive inclusive cultures. Sustainability is huge, obviously, helping a company thrive. We need to let Jeff ask a question here. So, Yeah, this may be a two-part question, Pam. And, uh, and I've never encountered this because I've always had entrepreneurial type of jobs. And I can't remember the last time I applied for a corporate job. But I have friends who tell me that you know, when they've applied for jobs and they're going through an interview process, sometimes they get this online or they get this uh, test, this, which is obviously a psychological test. I wanted to ask you about the pros and cons of that. Obviously, there are companies who feel that if someone checks wrong boxes, they're not going to fit into a culture or there may be issues down the road. But in doing that, um, might not they also be losing out on some potential real creativity on some people who just through an interview process would come out through a series of one-on-one interviews with who their managers and who their collaborators would be? You're spot on. And I think that's the keen nature of HR to select people that will be a good culture fit that are going to be attracted and retained by that company. So if you're not a good cultural fit, it's actually better to not be in that position where you wouldn't fit into what that company's needs are. And I agree with that. We have time for one last question from Kenya. I just was curious, can you give some examples of some companies or some organizations that you've worked with? Of course. So I have several examples, I guess, you know, there's a big recycling company that I did diversity, equity, and inclusivity to help their culture and understand cultural intelligence I've done a five-year retained agreement with a regional company on middle manager leadership training, a mentoring partnership program, power skills for their technology professionals, which help them the interpersonal capabilities of their technology associates to lift up their expertise. Um, I've got a current client working, well, several clients that I'm working with right now. Food waste mandate and the food value ecosystem is essential. And I'm providing a program that's going to support clients adhering to that mandate that's a New Jersey-based requirement. Change management for executives for an environmental company. So it's the people and talent strategy embedded into the right companies that have sustainability initiatives. Unfortunately, we're running out of time, but Pam, where can people find you and contact you to get more information about your services? Of course, I'm delighted to be reached at my website, greentrainingassociates.com. I have a YouTube brand channel, Green Training Associates. I have a Twitter at Pam Green Train, and I'm also on LinkedIn, Pam Samarco. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to hearing more from you about your progress. You're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt, our special guest this evening, Jeff Goodman, and we'll be right back after this. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gerhardt Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gerhardt Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We're here now with Kenya Gibson, who's going to do a segment on Power Move. So Kenya, who do you have for us today? Today on Power Move, we're going to be talking about three Power Move tips that you can implement to build your brand from celebrity tattoo artist and entrepreneur Joaquin Ganga. So Joaquin started out as a graffiti artist and he ended up becoming this very well-known celebrity tattoo artist. He's done tattoos on LeBron James, Post Malone, Chris Brown. And, you know, instead of coming up with a business name, he decided to use his own name to build his brand. And I just wanted to share three power moves that every entrepreneur can implement to build their brand. So you can draw from your expertise, you can be driven by passion, and you can stay dedicated and consistent. And these are all the things that he teaches and how to build up your personal brand. So 
He's our power move for today. What I really love about having you on the show is that you bring such a different dimension because too often people think of entrepreneurism as being limited to products or tech or life science, but celebrity is also entrepreneurism. And it's really getting your voice, your brand out there in a way that other people can recognize you. So the definition of entrepreneurism is expanding. And we appreciate your comments on that. Again, out of the box thinking. I love it. Everybody thinks branding is a certain way, but this guy's showing the world, no, you can do it your own way. I think that's very cool. On to Fireside Directory. So tell us what's been going on with that. So for those of you who don't know, Fireside is a video directory of business people. And I have to say, Pam is on there. I interviewed Pam for Fireside. We had a great interview. And Jeff is on there. I interviewed Jeff for Fireside. And Pam and Jeff are both here because they interviewed for Fireside with me. And what I realized, and especially like when you have people like Pam and Jeff, and Kenya did an interview with me too, is I learn so much and it's brand new stuff. So the business people that I have on there, they may have been business people for years or whatever, but they're good ones. And so they're keeping up with what's going on in the world today. And so they're all up to date. I'm learning so much doing Fireside. That's that's why you're so creative. Well, hey, I get ideas from it. So I've been interviewing people and I really enjoy it. And I have somebody supposedly working on my website. So I have to (laughs) get to the tech part of it pretty soon. But uh, knowledge is power. (laughs) Really enjoy hearing about people's companies and all the breakout stuff they're doing. So Uh, that's really great. So we have to take a commercial break, but we'll be right back after this passage to profit. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley's the Inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not? make it you. If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And if you have missed our show so far, we've had really cool stuff. So catch our podcast. Our next presenter has wonderful gifts. Here is Lisa Zamplin with her Love Lisa line. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here today. Um, I'm going to start off by introducing my company with Kenya's suggestion of be driven by passion. I've been an entrepreneur since I'm a child and I'm absolutely 100% driven by passion. And you can tell that when I answer the phone and when I'm on here, I'm so excited about what I do. I've been in business for 20 years, making my own jewelry. I've owned my business for 20 years. And I try to um, create jewelry for people that you can't find in the stores, stuff that's really sentimental, stuff that really hits home. I make things like stacks of bracelets for a police officer's wife to make her feel safe when her police officer is working. I make stacks for people that are getting married. This is a wedding day stack. I make very religious jewelry, things that are costume jewelry and affordable and fun. I also love to cater to that customer that has a very tiny wrist or a very large wrist. Um, People that can't find jewelry that fit their wrists or their necks. I make things that are magnetic, that are easy to take on and off because at all ages, we kind of can't find the clasps in the back. So it's super fun for me to be able to create things that others don't. So you can find me online at lovelisa.com. I'm on all the social media handles as Shop Love Lisa. And I'm pretty sure that there's something for everybody. You have your jewelry on some pretty high powered people, right? I have been very, very lucky and very, very passionate about becoming very lucky. I have sent so many pieces of jewelry to celebrities through the years. And now I find that celebrities, their agents call me and say, this person's going to be on this show. What do you have for me? And I really do take time to research a celebrity and figure out what their coloring is and do they look better in silver or gold? 
and I love to do that. But yes, I've been very, very lucky. Um, on my website, I have a page listing about 30 celebrities that are wearing my jewelry. So can a normal person afford your jewelry? Yes, of course. That's the beauty of what I do is that I make things that are very affordable. My price ranges are from anywhere between probably $10 to about $300. The one thing that's really amazing about what I do is I find a lot of men calling on the telephone saying, I need your help. They're like, well, this is my situation. My wife wants your jewelry. I have no idea what to buy. And the, the beauty in what I do is I spend time with my customers and find out exactly what is important to them. I actually just had an agent call and say to me, I know you always send me stuff for celebrities. Would you make something for my wife? I said, of course. And I was so honored because I felt like, you know what? He sees all the jewelry that I send to him for all of his clients and he loves what I'm making. And I'm sure his wife sees also. So it's actually arriving tomorrow. So I can't wait to hear if she loves what I made for her. I am the only one that hand makes every single piece of jewelry. And I'm not sure if it's because I'm a little crazy about perfection or if it's because nobody does things the way that I see them. But the people that help me in my business are, I have a web developer, I have marketing people. Um, but when it comes to making jewelry, if I'm going to sign my name on every piece of jewelry, I want to make sure that I make it myself. So Jeff. What do you think? Well, I want to ask an age question, but not current age, Lisa. I'm curious. You're so passionate about what you do. How old were you when you designed your first piece of jewelry? So I was eight years old. I grew up in a town called Oyster Bay, which is where Billy Joel is from. And <laughs> I was making safety pin bracelets at the time. And I asked my dad, who also is an entrepreneur, I was like, dad, I want to sell my jewelry. And he was like, well, go down to the local stores and ask them. And he took me. And I was really lucky that the Oyster Bay Pharmacy allowed me to leave my jewelry on consignment in the store and they paid me when things sold. So I didn't really think that I could make a living doing that. So I went to college and got my bachelor's degree in marketing, but my true roots were creating and making jewelry. So thank you very much. We have to end this segment, unfortunately, but how can our listeners find you? You can find me on my website at lovelisa.com. And of course, all the social media handles at Shop Love Lisa, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. So thank you for having me. Passage to Profit, the Inventor Show on WOR 710 with our special guest, Jeff Goodman, our executive spotlight, Pam Samarco, and hosts Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart on WOR 710, the voice of New York. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And now we are on to our final presenter. Every household is going to want to have these. Every household. I don't care who does your cleaning for you, but I'm going to let Chris explain what he has invented. His company is FTI Brands. Welcome, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. I'm going to start at the very beginning here, just very quickly to say how we came to uh, have this product. I grew up in Ohio. I always wanted to do two things. I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I wanted to be a filmmaker. And uh, in college, I met a friend my freshman year. We became roommates my sophomore year. We used to be up late at night trying to come up with that next new million dollar invention, which never happened, uh, not in college at least. So we went our separate ways. I moved west. So I, I live in Los Angeles. I've been in the film business uh, for over 15 years now, but still always thinking about trying to come up with something. And a few years ago, I was in a pitch meeting and uh, on the way to the meeting, uh, I'm a director. So I dress differently. I got longer hair and, and a beard. 
when I'm with producers, they're wearing suits and leather shoes, but I'm more dressed down, trying to look more of a creative type, I suppose. So anyway, I went to this meeting and I pulled, I was out of town. I pulled my shoes out of my luggage that I packed specifically for that meeting. And I looked at the white soles on these shoes and they were marked up. I said, I can't go into this meeting looking like this. I got to look pristine. So, you know, if you have any shoes with white soles, you know, you just look at them wrong. They get marked up. So quickly, 20 minutes before the meeting, I'm in the hotel room. I search online on my phone for how to clean white soles on Google. And all I find is home remedies, like scrubbing bubbles on a toothbrush or hand sanitizer in a paper towel. So, but you um, only have one toothbrush, right? So do I clean my teeth or my shoes? You know? I don't grab a bathroom thing. Um, but I had hand, hand sanitizer and I had a whole box of Kleenex in the hotel room that I shredded through in those 20 minutes trying to get my shoes clean. It was just enough. But when I got back to LA, I called, I called my old college roommate, Kevin. I said, man, I think this is it. If we can solve this problem, this might be the one. So fast forward a year later, and we created sneak erasers. This is a pre-moistened, individually packaged sponge. It's made of multiple layers. I'll just open one up here for those who can see. It's this white layer and this uh, super soft chamois layer. So the chamois layer you can use on sensitive parts of your, of your shoes, logos on the uppers, those types of things. But the miracle part is the white part. So when you get those black scuffs on your shoes, whether you bumped them against a tire or bumped them against the other shoe or stepped in mud, the real stuff is the scuffs though, because it's easy to get mud off, but scuffs, this is what works perfectly. So, and since it's pre-moistened, it would have been great that day when I was on the road, because you can just use it anywhere. You don't need any running water. When you take a close look at this, it's reminiscent of a Mr. Clean Magic Eraser. It has similar properties, but it's much denser. So it lasts longer because, you know, Magic Eraser is meant for bathtubs, kitchen sinks, counters, things that are very smooth, but shoes are now almost never very smooth. So we had to create something new. And with our special pre-moisten formula, this combination just works perfectly on shoes. Chris, I got to ask you a quick question. Does it only work on white ones or can you use it on colors or will that remove the color? Yeah, no, no, you can use it on anything. As long as it's like a, a synthetic sole, um, you know, like there's a lot of shoes from Adidas now that have, you know, red, red soles, blue soles. It works perfectly on those too. Leather, leather soles too? Typically you wouldn't be getting scuffs on leather soles, but if you do have dirt or that kind of thing, it, yeah, it'll work perfectly on that okay. as well. So Jeff, did you have a question? Yeah, what a great idea. Is it patented? And did you also get your name uh, trademarked? Yeah, we are trademarked across everything we have. And we have multiple patents that are still in process right now. And the big one that we're, according to the patent, patent office that we're very close on is being able to have a pre-moistened individual sponge in a pouch. That's the big one that we're, wow. we're after that can really help protect everything we're doing. That sounds great. So you have other products besides just a sneaker one, right? We do. Uh, when we started getting more popular, we, we got picked up by Walmart. So we're chain wide at Walmart. A bunch of different grocery stores have us, Giant Eagle, Kroger, Meyer. When we started doing that, you know, what's funny is uh, Kevin and I were on the golf course and uh, my nephew actually said, hey, next time you're on the golf course, make sure you use sneaker racers on your clubs in between shots because your shots are your you know your clubs are always getting dirty and you lose spin on the ball so i use it on my clubs I'm like what are we thinking we need to make one for golf so we came up with golf racers golf racers is that uh, ha again has similar properties but it's designed completely differently so that you can use it on the golf course and at first when we created this i thought you know i i just want to make sure this isn't a gimmick this thing has to be better than anything else out there. And it really is. It's instead of getting your golf towel all dirty or using one of those bristle brushes that you cut up your hands when you're using those things, I swear. That's why we created this. And inside the box of golf erasers, we had to figure out how to make sure that this was easily accessible for golfers. You didn't want to keep it in your pocket. You don't really want to put it on your cart. You need to have it available just like your towel is. So we created what we call a bag tag tether. So you connect this to your bag, just like in a golfer, we have a bag tag, but it's got this uh, extension on the bottom and our sponges have holes in them. So you actually can preload this tether with all six sponges that come with your purchase. Mm -hmm. And now you have this connected to your bag right next to your towel. It's made of silicone, it stretches, it could be in any position you want. You clean your club and you let it drop right back down to your towel. If you're listening on the radio, you have to go to our YouTube channel to see this, right? Yeah. And because it's a great really, idea though. It's a great like, idea. When we started, it seemed pretty obvious to us that sneakerheads and sneaker culture were the main target. And we spent over a year just on that market and we had almost no success. There's something about the loyalty that sneakerheads have for existing brands. And also just it's very niche. And that's kind of one of the things we were taught early on is that you want to go narrow and deep on your market and just focus on that category. And oddly for us, I think we're one of the outliers here because it just did not work for us. And one day near the end of 2018, you know, our phones are connected to Amazon and Shopify and we sold out almost instantly one night and we had no idea what was going on. It turned out that Rachel Zoe, you know, celebrity fashion person, she posted on her website about us. 
And all of a sudden, all these moms and females and business professionals knew about us and what it hit us at that moment that, wait a second, our product isn't just for sneakerheads, it's for everyone. And we totally changed our approach. We went to a trade show and every retail buyer we talked to said yes. It was very strange. Now they didn't buy immediately, but no one told us no. So we're again, chain-wide at Walmart. We're at uh, a bunch of regional grocery stores like Giant Eagle, Meyer, CVS has us. And we're in talks with plenty more retailers right now. It just keeps picking up. And one more product because of our mass appeal, we created a, a new one called Auto Erasers that works very well in your car. So again, multiple layers. One side is for sensitive materials. The other side is for things like, you know, your windshield. The main thing about this product is, you know, when you pull out of the car wash and you're about a quarter mile away from it and you're sparkling clean car and a bird poops on your windshield. (laughs) That's what these are for, is for all those little touch-ups that you need to do between car washes that you're sick of. So Jeff, you look like you need to ask a question at this very moment. That'd be a great tagline to uh, try to get a mark for when a bird on your your windshield. Yeah. So Kenya, what do you have to say? First of all, I am a sneakerhead. I love sneakers. I love white uptowns. I That's pretty much all I wear all summer long. And I definitely have some ideas for you to crack the code in the sneakerhead space. So we should definitely right. connect for sure. Because I think okay. there's a really cool idea that I have that could work for you. I think you kind of answered my question already. Like you, you talked a little bit about some of the secondary markets that you're going after. But can you just kind of expand upon that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So one of the things that we do is that we don't have a huge marketing or advertising budget. And since we have a brand new product that's not really like anything else, it's hard for us to reach our customers. So we put all of our effort into packaging. For instance, you'll see this on each of our packages. We've developed this over time, but we made three rules for ourselves. We said on our packaging, we have to make the most clear what it is. And that for this one is instant sneaker cleaner. For golf, it's instant golf cleaner. And for auto racers, it's instant detailing sponge. So it's the first thing people see. It's the first thing we put on our displays too. Second is how does it work? And for here, we have our before and after on all of our packaging. It's a dirty shoe and a clean shoe. Just immediately people have to know what it is because no one knows who the heck sneaker racers is, at least not yet. And third is what it's called sneaker racers. So when you're talking about these secondary markets, That's what's been really important for us in order to reach people is making sure that they know exactly what it is right away. That's helped us get into camping world, auto racers. We're in talks with Walmart with auto racers right now. Hope we got our fingers crossed on that. And for golf, we're in a PGA Tour Superstore and we have a bunch of other stores that we're talking to right now. But that has really been the key is making sure people know what the heck this thing is right off the bat. Chris, I do encourage you to get together with Kenya because Kenya has had incredible success with iHeart and consumer products. And she can tell you stories of sellouts, like amazing. So anyway, you're listening to WOR 710, The Voice of New York, Passage to Profit, The Inventor Show. We'll be right back. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. Sometimes behind the scenes, a Passage to Profit is almost as fun as Passage to Profit itself. We're just having a great time well, here that's tonight. Where everybody- Everybody laughs at us. So before we go, though, we'd like to ask our guest this evening, our executive spotlight and our media maven, they have comments about our program. Some parting thoughts for our audience. I think the program is great. You highlight different aspects of entrepreneurs, educational background and commitment, interesting ideas, lifetime passions, and people coming up with ideas and real life situations and thinking, 
this could be a really big business and coming up with an invention, patenting it, and then coming up with ways to market it and get the word out. I love the full range of your show. It's great. Well, thank you so much. Pam? I, I think this is a delightful program. It's engaging. It's the human side of business. As we all know, the opportunity to share stories, to share some laughs, to talk about what we love to do and to be innovative and creative and what the opportunities are for those out there that are listening to say, maybe this is a step for you to take and what does it take to be successful and how can we help? So it's really quite fun. Well, thank you so much. Kenya? Yeah, and I was just thinking about the show and the whole theme of the show. It's like, it's been this entrepreneurial tour, right? You know, going back to Jeff's theme of what he does on the New York neighborhood side, you know, this is what Passage to Profit does. It, it gives a glimpse and, and highlights stories of products and individuals. So essentially, this is what we're doing, right? It is. Yes. Yeah. It, it, excellent insight. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. And it was so, your idea to begin with, right? Yeah, it, so. was. <laughs> it was our idea. Our yeah. idea. <laughs> Kenya came up with the concept. So I want to go through everybody's websites quickly in case you missed it the first time. And the podcast comes out tomorrow and it's on our YouTube channel. So um, I always say this every show, but I mean it. We get the best looking people on this show. So go right. look at our YouTube go, yeah, channel. Go check out our YouTube channel so, for some hot looking people. <laughs> this shows you entrepreneurs. <laughs> <laughs> so we had Jeff Goodman. The best way to find him is www.jeffgoodman, spelled exactly like it sounds, dot NYC. And he's on social media. He has his own radio show. He has his tours, but if you go there, that's the place to start. Yeah. Why wander around New York yourself? Do it oh. with a group. Oh yeah. And then we had Pam Samarco. She was our executive spotlight and you can find her at greentrainingassociates.com. She has a YouTube channel. She's on Twitter. She's on social. Green Training Associates, Pam Samarco. And she'll help you unlock the secrets of human nature and behavior in the workplace. We're here to help your people and company grow and thrive to become future ready. So let's create a tidal wave of change with smart people, smart business, smart planet. I love that. And then we had Kenya with her power move. So Kenya is our media maven from iHeart. And we always put in the plug if you need digital marketing help or any other kind of advertising help. iHeart is fantastic. They have the brightest people, the best team, and we've been using them for years now, and they've really contributed to our success. Right. We're using them for some targeted advertising in New York for the law firm for Gearheart Law. And Kenya is the greatest contact person to work with. She has such brilliant ideas. She's so creative. So if you want to take it a step further and sell out of your product or really make your business known, give Kenya a holler. It's Kenya Gibson with a P at iHeartMedia.com. Mm -hmm. And then we had Lisa Zamplin. Her line is called Love Lisa and Shop Love Lisa on social. She hand makes every single piece of jewelry that she sells, which is just amazing. So it's lovelisa.com and her prices are very reasonable. Anybody can afford this. And she takes her client's personality in likes and dislikes into account. So check out her website. And then we had Chris Pavlika with FTI Brands, ftibrands.com. These are the cleaning products everybody's going to want for all their different cleaning needs. And they're really carefully designed and made to really do the job on hard to clean surfaces. I know I'm buying them. And of course, Richard Gearhart from Gearhart Law. So if you And want. Elizabeth Gearhart from Fireside. So. so if you need a patent trademark or copyright, give Richard a holler or any questions about IP. Absolutely. And so now it's time to sign off. We'd like to thank our producer, Noah Fleischman, our program coordinator, Elisa Morrissey, our video footage editor, Angela Wolf, and the whole iHeart team. This is Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt signing off for Passage to Profit on iHeart Radio, WOR 710, the voice of New York. <laughs> <laughs>